Hello and welcome to Anam Radio. Today we listen to one of the most unique and original works in the whole chamber repertoire. And that's the trio in E-flat for piano, violin and horn by Johannes Brahms, which he composed in 1865. And we're talking to horn soloist Timothy Allen Ankins, who performed it last year with Claire Weatherhead, violin, and Amanda Pang, piano. Let's start with Brahms. Tim, when we look into the origins of this work, it actually has an extremely deep personal significance for Brahms, I think. Tell us what you know about the background to this trio. Uh, So this work was composed with quite a unique trio of instruments which hadn't really been heard of before. I believe it might have been because of Brahms growing up in a very musical family who also played violin, horn and piano, and Brahms himself was a very capable horn player. So the personal side of this, he wrote this after his mother's passing, and the third movement particularly is a funeral march subtitled Adagio Mesto in Italian, which means slow and sad. And there's all sort of extra musical details of lullabies his mother used to sing him and interweaving melodic lines with the violin and the piano. There's a lot of nostalgic emotions in there. It's certainly a very powerful movement. Look, Brahms, in my opinion, was generally uh, a master of the slow movement, but this one is especially powerful. And I hadn't realised that there were that he actually interwove lullabies into it Um, but it makes sense and I was also surprised to learn that Brahms was a capable horn player. His teacher was his father though who was a professional horn player so in a way this this work is a tribute to his mother who had died just recently as you said but also to his father who played the horn. But there are four movements to this trio and it covers a huge range of moods and emotions. Let's start with the first movement. Tim, how would you describe it? Uh, Very solemn. I believe the theme came to him when he was walking through a forest 12 years earlier before he wrote this piece. So he had it in mind. And of course, he wrote this piece for the natural horn specifically, not the valve horn. And he had to keep in mind the natural harmonics of the instrument when he wrote this melody and It's quite a simple melody, but it's quite moving. It's one of those melodies that can sort of just go so horizontally forever. There's no sense of bar lines when you play it. I think you're right. It's hard to find where the strong beat is because it just sort of ambles along, doesn't it? And so it makes sense that he was out walking when this theme came to him. Now, Brahms intended this work for the old forest horn or what we would call the natural horn. Tell us how this differs from the modern horn. The natural horn is the the ancestor of the current modern horn. You know, they used it for signalling armies, hunting, horn signal, fanfares of the forest. So that's the true origins of the instrument. So the natural horn is a horn without valves. So it couldn't achieve the full array of notes that we have on the modern valve horn that we have nowadays. But to achieve those extra partials between harmonics, you'd actually have to use your right hand in the bell to adjust the pitch and close off the bell. It's a bit of a more ugly sound. It's a bit more nasal sort of sounding. It's very effective in Mahler symphonies and uglier sounding, a bit more intense sounding music. But in the case back then, he wanted that color of sound in the hand stop notes so he could contrast the open notes to the closed notes, if that makes any sense. It does make sense, but of course, 
natural horns are not so easy to find nowadays. And you're playing on a modern valve horn. Do you have to make any sort of accommodation? Is it worth trying to imitate the natural horn in any part of this trio? Absolutely. There's one particular note towards the end of the third movement, which is often still played stopped horn in modern times because it has a particular significance in color, has a sort of potency. You know, it's one of those shocking moments. It's Mark Sforzando and it's a bit of a surprise and you, you feel all this passion and grief from Brahms about his mother. But yeah, it's definitely worthwhile considering those particular notes and how that will affect phrasing and whether you want to lean on those notes or whether you want to come away from those notes. If you play those hand-stop notes too loudly, it can sound very brassy and quite frightening, but you can also play it very softly and elegantly, which ultimately affects the phrasing and where you're going towards in a phrase. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Let's move on to the second movement, Scherzo. You said before how the old horn, it was used a lot for hunting calls, military calls, etc. And I think we get a taste of this in the second movement, am I right? Absolutely. The second movement definitely captures the sort of fast-paced horseback hunting scene, which is a huge contrast to the first movement. And you, you can sort of see glimpses of that in the fourth movement, again, in the rondo. Yes, which is probably overall the, the happiest, most carefree of the, the movements. Tim, this work must be a very big play for the horn soloist. It's longer than any of the Mozart concertos or the Richard Strauss concertos. And this must be very taxing on, on your whole muscular system. How do you train up for a big piece like this? Well, preparing for this, this is quite difficult, especially when you have to consider other pieces in the program before it. How many months goes into preparing the Brahms horn trio? Oh, many months. Uh, many months of training stamina just because it's it's the first movement alone is quite taxing when you get towards the last line and then you've still got half an hour left in the piece total. So you have to really pace yourself well and be flexible in the moment and really take your time between the movements to recover and get your focus back, get your stamina back. And then you've still got to be very fresh after those three taxing movements for the very energetic rondo finale. So <laughs> I'm just astounded really at the stamina watching you play it. I'm going to ask you, this is a trio, which, you know, is the politically correct thing to say is this is meant to be a collaboration between three equals, but surely the horn gets the last word about tempos, am I right? Yeah, well, <laughs> probably because, you know, the violin can play all day long and the horn definitely can't do that. And same with piano. But yeah, it's such a unique colour in that trio, the French horn. He did actually arrange this for cello, violin and piano later, but the French horn is unique and it's a really interesting colour when you combine these three instruments because there's times the ensemble sound is, is fitting into the horn sound, but there's also times, particularly towards the end of the second movement and third movement, where the horn can sort of just almost not even be there. It's just a slight colour in the timbre to the actual ensemble sound, so you, you fit among the violin and the piano. So, yeah, it's really unique in that in that way of those unusual instruments to pair together. Tim, I've got to ask you, there's a moment in the third movement, the slow movement, which really always gets me right there. I'm thumping my chest as I say this. Um, it's right at the end, and the horn has these downward octave leaps, and you almost cover the whole range of the whole instrument 
Is that as hard to play as it looks on paper? Absolutely. It's um, the point in the piece where you, you feel the most, you know, not fresh. You feel very exhausted by that point and you have to be just so efficient with your air and where you're breathing to be able to achieve those huge leaps to the high B flat and then to the low, the low notes at the end of the phrase. Yeah, and Brahms actually uses the lowest register of the horn a lot in this work, I've noticed. Is that harder to negotiate than the upper range? I quite like it in this setting. It's what's interesting is, is the stop notes, the close notes in that register are very dark, they're very solemn, they're very moody. But yeah, he chose this key in E flat, this crook, natural horn crook, because of its darker color, its sort of moodiness. Whereas he could have chosen to write for valve horn, but I don't think it would capture what he was intending at the time. But it's still effective nowadays on the valve horn, especially when you consider how it would have been played on the natural horn. It certainly is effective. Look, Tim, lastly, this performance, which you recorded last year, this came with an award. Can you tell us a little about that, please? I was very lucky to be awarded the St. Silas Award for the most outstanding first year recital, which came as a nice way to end a difficult COVID year last year, uh, which I spent all year in Brisbane after relocating to Melbourne earlier in that year, going back home to Brisbane and then performing a recital with other Queensland-based Anam musicians, which was a lovely way to stay in touch with a part of the Anam family in my hometown. Well, congratulations, Tim. It's a beautiful performance. And look, this has been a horror 18 months for all performing artists. We are going to get through it. What are you looking forward to most? Being able to play an orchestra again, just that sense of community among my colleagues and that excitement. I remember the first time we came back this year to play with Howard Penny's concert, Dvorak 8, and the feeling even in the concert was just so exhilarating. I just remember after the first movement was done, I just that feeling you haven't felt for so long, it's finally back and you know, you celebrate afterwards with your colleagues and it's just the best feeling in the world. That's why you, I do what I do, you know? Tim, we can't wait to hear you playing in an orchestra soon. So thanks for talking to us today and thanks again for your beautiful performance of the Brahms Trio. This has been Anam Radio. Thanks to our coordinator, Sabrina Alday, our producer, Nathan Alul, and our guest, Timothy Allen Ankins. Hope you can join us next time. I'm Phil Lambert. Bye for now. Thank you.